Sometimes you need to take control to make a difference. That's why with FlexPath from Capella University, you're in control. Set your own deadlines and leverage your experience to move at a pace that works for you. Discover a different way forward at capella.edu. Want a better life? Then you need better sleep. And if you want better sleep, you need the Dream Cloud Hybrid Mattress. Order today and get $799 in savings and accessories with every mattress. Visit dreamcloudsleep.com today to experience your better life on a Dream Cloud. The Exxon Radio Show with Rob McConnell is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Rob McConnell's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the Exxon Radio Show or endorsed in any manner by Rob McConnell, Relmar McConnell Media Company, the Exxon Broadcast Network, its affiliated networks, stations, employees, or advertisers. All Hit Radio. Welcome to the X-Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. And welcome back to the X-Zone, everyone. I am Rob McConnell, and after 28 years, I'm here still in our studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. But that will all be changing in two months from now. We are going to be moving our studios and our corporate offices back to Niagara, where our show started and our company started some 28 years ago. So it's like going home after all this time to see mom and dad Uh, Except this time I'm bringing a wife, six children, ten grandchildren, and three dogs with me. But anyway, we're looking back. uh, We're looking forward to being back in Niagara with a lot of good friends. Marty McLean, Joe Gurney, my buddies at uh, 610 CKTB, Hits FM. It's It's going to be really nice working back where all this started 28 years ago. Exonation, my guest this hour is Dr. Frank Albo. He is an architectural historian and an expert in on communicating new streams of knowledge in relation to uh, the built environment and the cultures of the past. He holds graduate degrees in ancient Near Eastern languages, Western esotericism, and the history of art, receiving his PhD from the University of Cambridge in 2012. Joining us now from the beautiful province of Manitoba in the coldest city right now in Canada, Winnipeg, Dr. Frank Alba, welcome to the show. Welcome. Thank you for having me on. Uh, Tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, Dr. Albo, and uh, what was it that got you interested into this fascinating uh, area of history that that you're so involved in? Well, it actually it happened by sheer accident about 13 years ago when I was driving by a very familiar uh, building in Manitoba, our legislative building, mm-hmm. and I spotted out of the corner of my eye two Egyptian sphinxes on the roof. And as the tale of Egyptian um, or Greek legend tells us, um, the riddle of the sphinx inspired me to look more further at what was within this building. Uh, it is a remarkable showpiece of hermetic esoteric architecture. I didn't know that at the time. I was just merely marveling at this Egyptian sphinx on the roof and my quest to understand the mind of the architect who built it, Frank Worthington Simon. So completely unbeknownst to me in no way, shape or form, I found myself plunged down a rabbit hole trying to get into the mind of a dead British genius. And that... Um, uh, became an academic odyssey that took me from the University of Toronto to the University of uh, Amsterdam, then uh, the University of Cambridge, where I explored architecture, uh, mysticism, the occult, and secret societies. Fascinating, truly fascinating. So you're the Canadian version of uh, of the uh, Dr. Langford in the Da Vinci Code. <laughs> well, some, some say that, um, <laughs> but um, I, I just uh, plod along with... Um, uh, my my historical research. What is the significance of the Egyptian uh, art in the uh, legislature buildings in Manitoba? 
Well, um, Egypt has been a source or the, the mother source for uh, mystery and magic, even for the ancient Romans. So, uh, but in particular, in the iconography of Freemasonry, Egypt is extolled as this fountainhead of um, lost architectural knowledge. And uh, the architect of this building uh, gleaned from this long tradition of uh, the veneration of Egyptian monuments to welcome visitors to the building and inspire them with this kind of initiatic journey through the building. So there are very there are, uh, curious features throughout yeah. the building that are truly marvelous. The fact that the uh, exterior footprint of the building is exactly 666 feet the interior arrangements arranged to 666, uh, 13 repeats throughout, and, and on the surface this appears to be some sort of Luciferian magic, but it is for him a, uh, an understanding of the power of numbers, the power of geometry, and the power of uh, uh, Freemasonry as a brotherhood that has held, vouchsafed these traditions of building going back all the way to Egypt. What is the significance of 666? Is it the mark of the devil, or is there some other um, mystical association with it? Well, in the case of uh, Hermetic philosophy, uh, numbers have, and, and this even stretches back way before the Middle Ages, mm -hmm. but uh, numbers had ontological power. So from the time of Pythagoras, the notion that the entire world, the universe, is comprised of numbers, something very fitting today when we uh, um, uh, smash protons together and, and, exactly. and other things. But the, uh, uh, in, in the ancient world, the notion that numbers had, had truly esoteric value were, um, had moved into Hermeticism around the 3rd century AD, where uh, uh, each number related to a cosmological virtue. Uh, and 666 was related to the power of the sun, because if you add up numbers 1 to 36, uh, the sum of which equals 666, and this is why the heavens were divided into 36 deacons of 10-degree arcs. And so when we think of 360 degrees for the um, circumference of a circle, we are completely unknowingly uh, um, being inculcated the notion that the world is comprised of numbers and number magic, and in particular 666, or 360, is um, uh, uh, the number of the sun. Fascinating. I don't know about you, but I find the architecture of the new buildings to be boring. Totally. When... Completely soulless, vacuous, <sighs> uh, um, and empty of um, uh, meaning. And, or interpretation, otherwise, uh, other than abstract notions of modernism, which are deplorable. I agree with you, sir. Um, what is the meaning and power of myth and monomyths? Ah, well, this is a framing device for my current book on the most extraordinary capital city ever built or conceived, the capital city of uh, Kazakhstan, Astana. And really? as I frame my study of this book, I couched it in the form of a foundation myth. Um, foundation myths relate to the origins or ritual of the founding of a city. I'll give you one that's very familiar to you. It's the founding of Rome, the, okay. the, the, the fratricide between Romulus and Remus. Mm -hmm. uh, now, this has been used as a device for the um, orientation and founding of new civilizations from the earliest epochs of time. So uh, looking at this city, what completely marveled me was that myths, folklore, and some of the oldest myths of world civilization were being built and encoded in the architecture of this capital. So I wrote my book in an effort to showcase the underlying myths behind uh, architecture. And I should qualify this by saying that um, I do not mean myth as uh, merely the fables of the gods, but instead myths as an essential part of the human imagination, which appear in psychology, art, literature, philosophy, film, architecture, even science. But mm -hmm. the, the very notion that myth uh, provides us with a glimpse to the essential truths of the human condition. And to me, myth is essential to um, actually rediscovering who we are and where we are going. What is the foundation of myth, sir? Foundation myths? Well, mm. the foundation myth is just a way of uh, 
signaling a new order of things. So in order to have an effective foundation myth, you need three fundamental ingredients. You need some remnant of archaeological fact. Um, you need a compelling story and you need a piece of monumental art or literature. Uh, most of the time, this is inculcated in architecture. So if you've ever been to Athens and we marvel at yeah. the Parthenon, the entire Parthenon is a foundation myth of the founding of the Hellenistic people. Uh, so the, the Athenian people and they, they ascribe their identity in the form of this built temple, which looks moot today, but is really a, um, a beacon that celebrates to the world who they are. And architecture acts as that vehicle. You know, many people, when you talk about ancient history, they roll their eyes back as if it is of no significance. And yet, mm -hmm. I believe, sir, that the ancients were far more ahead than we will ever give them credit for because... Not very many people really pay attention, true attention, like you do, to the significance of ancient architecture, ancient history, and mm -hmm. what they had accomplished. Oh, I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't agree more. I, um, I believe uh, very strongly that there was an epic golden age yes. of which we are uh, uh, in, in perpetual degeneration. Uh, the remnants of that golden age is uh, left in the monuments of the ancient world. And to some extent, our, our cities, our buildings, and our public space, spaces today are um, uh, uh, in code and provide us with reminders of these old vestiges, these old truths that were passed down um, in art and architecture. Please stand by, Dr. Albo. You and I have to take our first break, sir. Exonation. Our guest this hour is Dr. Frank Albo. The website is www.astanamyth.com. And the good doctor and I return on the other side of this break as we continue here in the Exon from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone radio show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the X-Zone broadcast network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. You have heard of the X-Zone? Now watch it on Simo TV, plus 500 video games, live TV channels, free video on demand worldwide and more does this sound like tomorrow's television well it is but you can have it today right now it is simul tv simul tv offers what the others only wish they could provide 15 exclusive channels like exone sci-fi and horror we are worldwide no other provider offers that 500 built-in video games no need to have an extra expensive system we have them included free video on demand live streaming events from around the world, interactive online network, and much more. Tomorrow's TV today, Simul TV. Sound too good to be true? Well, it's not. You can have Simul TV today. Sign up at simultv.com. Do it today. Modern Esoteric, Beyond Our Senses by Brad Olson, consummates the lifeology story about where humanity originates. It is the lost continents, the primitive wisdom, the mythos of creation, and the rethinking of ancient history as we are taught in academia. There is much more to the story than what we have been told. 
As this is the first book in the esoteric series, modern esoteric starts at the beginning of time and accelerates up to this modern age. Future Esoteric is book two in the series and takes a forward-looking position ahead of today with an open and honest examination of the ET issue and various unexplained phenomena. To discover the writings of author Brad Olson, visit www.bradolson.com. That's www.bradolson.com. Exonation, my guest this hour is Dr. Frank Albo, and his website is astanamyth.com. Doctor, what are the three global cries in book, or crises in oh, book? Um, well, what I did with this particular book, and let me just step back for a second, sure. is the reason that I wrote this book is because I was preparing this graduate course on utopian cities, an idea that had been inspired from Plato's Atlantis, mm -hmm. and this effort to build uh, paradise on Earth. Uh, mostly they'd been... Uh, uh, forlorn debaucheries that have never worked. However, um, in, in preparing this course, I was going to begin with Atlantis and conclude with Astana, the capital city of, of Kazakhstan. And when I was uh, undertaking my research, I was stumbling upon this web of intrigue that Astana is the world capital of the Illuminati. Now, as somebody who has taken a great deal of um, uh, explored this subject to uh, a, uh, a great degree, that is, uh, Freemasons, the Illuminati, and secret mm -hmm. societies as it pertains to architecture. Was, I had no idea about um, uh, these associations. We could later go into why that is. So um, uh, what happened was, I, as I began looking at what you see in, in Astana, a giant glass pyramid, a, a, a massive UFO-shaped building, uh, um, uh, several other, um, uh, a tree of life monument and several other things, I realized that what was happening beneath the architectural facades of, of uh, Astana was a solution to the three greatest crises of our time. And as I see it, it is religious extremism, the sustainability of the planet, and the proliferation of nuclear weapons. So the buildings in Kazakhstan signal and provide a unique solution to how we can ameliorate this global threat. When you're talking about Kazakhstan, you know, that, that blows me away because here you are in a country that is war-torn. It, it appears to be of no great significance on the surface, and yet the way that you've described it to me, would like it's it's the center of what's going on right now. How did they get there? Well, um, I would dispute the, the notion of them being war torn. They're remarkably the jewel of Central Asia. They're sandwiched between Mother Russia and Mother China, and they've carved out out of the most uh, uh, deplorable conditions in in the 20th century this um, uh, oasis of of power. Uh, Kazakhstan is very lucky in being the uh, having a kind of full house of natural resources, gold, diamonds, gas, uranium, and oil, a lot of oil. And they have, after the fall of the Soviet Union, right. they were the least likely country to survive of the post-Soviet um, countries, or about 15 of them. And uh, it was ranked number 15, and today it is number one. Uh, and what they did is, is that they used their, um, they went back, speaking of our earlier discussion of going back to the ancient world, they mm -hmm. went back to their own ancient past and recovered ideas and principles from the Central Asian nomads, which had inspired the cultures of Egypt, and I mean ancient Egypt, First Kingdom, uh, early dynasty Egypt, and the cultures of Sumer. The cultures of Egypt and Sumer have in themselves uh, a, um, uh, an earlier source, and that comes from the cultures of Central Asia. And when Kazakhstan found it or rediscovered its identity, being mm -hmm. culturally imperialized for thousands of years, they only recently had their independence. They went back 
stretched all the way back to their ancient primordial past to recover principles that they believe have been lost. And then they use them as a pretext to redefine themselves and build a capital city that is unlike anywhere in the world. And what's so bizarre about this all is that the moment you think Kazakhstan, the, the immediate association in most people's minds is the homeland of Borat. Yeah, exactly. And so I uh, subvert these notions and uh, show you how there is a blueprint beneath the surface in Kazakhstan, making it more unique than any other city, even more than uh, the capital city of Amarna the um, foundation capital of Akhenaten in ancient Egypt. So um, I'd be delighted to go through this with you. And so what, uh, uh, what I did was is um, I uh, further wrote within the book a secret message that I'm hoping someone very soon will decipher. Uh, there is a $30,000 riddle contained in my book that relates to um, a way in which I think we can uh, rid the world of this common problem. And what is the common problem, sir? Nuclear proliferation, the sustainability of the planet, and um, uh, religious extremism. So how is this riddle going to make this world uh, a nirvana? Ah, because it requires each reader to explore and study my text in great detail. There is a, um, I, will, I will provide one example. Okay. In the, the second century BCE, when the, uh, the Hebrew Bible, the Pentateuch, was translated into Greek, there were 70 scholars that got together and said this would be a huge travesty because to translate the Hebrew text into any other tongue would be an abomination because you would lose the inherent meanings behind the letter-level words. Um, and uh, that notion being that at one level of reading, the Bible is a bunch of allegorical stories. At another level of reading, there is a deeper truth to the letters of the Bible. Similarly, I think that this is true not only in literature, but in art and architecture. And so I very carefully designed this book and uh, selected words, images in a very precise way that it implores my readers to read it and study it deeply. I cannot reveal any more than that other than there are enigmas and secrets in the book that come from my long study of um, uh, esotericism, the cultures of the past, and the language of secret societies. So what qualifications would a person need to read your book in order to understand all that's in it? It's very facile. It's, it's hidden in plain view. Just read the text, look at it closely. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm even the very uh, approach... Uh, how I composed this work was um, an homage to uh, the Oxford Inklings. Are you familiar with their body of work, sir? No, sir, I'm not. Okay, the Oxford Inklings were a literary circle that um, uh, was comprised of J.R.R. Tolkien, no doubt you've heard of him, and yes. C.S. Lewis, and Owen Barfield, and mm -hmm. Charles Williams. And they met in a pub in Oxford to uh, what they believed uh, uh, deal with the most ominous threats of the 20th century. And for them, they identified three problems were uh, the cause, the root cause of the war, the First World War and the Second World War. And it was alienation, it was disenchantment and enemy. And they set out to write mythic literature as a way to change the minds of the youth. And I think that they've been mighty successful in that effort. So when you're reading Lord of the Rings or you're reading the Chronicles of Narnia or Prince Caspian, unknowingly, the whole effort behind that literary exercise was to re-enchant the world, make us not alienated and bring back old social norms and values. And I took the same effort in the 21st century, and I identified what are the three greatest problems as I see it. It's disputable. Mm -hmm. Other people might not agree. The three greatest problems I see in the 20th century, 21st century, 
uh, as I denominated, religious extremism, planetary sustainability, and the proliferation of nuclear weapons. And I couched this in the form of, uh, of a book that I intend you to read at a very deep level. You could read the narrative. It's scholarly research. As far as I know, no other book is written like this as a work of, of scholarship and historical veracity, but at a another level altogether, containing a, um, a series of in, uh, embedded clues uh, for the worthwhile reader. Um, and the person who entertains this quest, I think, will understand why I set out to do it in this way. So why is this so important? What happens if Lewis and Tolskin and the others who are sitting in this pub were all wrong? Like you're only well, taking, you're only, you're well, only, I mean, excuse they, me, sir. Uh, sir whoa, 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 Sir, 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 I wasn't finished. Okay. You know, like you're taking the words of three people as if it was actually coming out of the mouth of Jesus Christ. How can we do this? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I, I don't know what that has to do with what their uh, efforts were. Well, their efforts, it's, it's very simple. You're, you're, from what I understand, you're taking what they said and what they they set out to do based on the books that they wrote as being the Rosetta Stone to creating a better world. And I, I'm having a problem seeing how. Okay. Um, it, it appears you're not too familiar with the works of C.S. Lewis. When he first started off as, uh, I mean, he's a, he was the most ardent advocate and atheist, okay? Mm -hmm. And he had, um, he believed that there was no value in religious tradition, and the biggest lie of all was the lie of Jesus Christ. All right, hold on. We've got to take, we've got to take our, we have to take our commercial break here. Please stand by. ExoNation, our guest this hour is Frank Albo. His website is www.astanamyth.com, and we'll be back on the other side of this break as we continue here in the Exxon from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away. Broadcast studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, to the world and beyond. You're watching the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. The scientist and the mystic have been on an age-old, relentless search with one thing in common. They seek truth. Their paths converge in the 40,000-year-old practice of shamanism, an ancient science delving to the quantum level of life, facilitating healing, manifestation, and evolution. I'm Gwilda Wiecka, the founder and director of Path Home Shamanic Arts School, a unique Colorado State-certified occupational school, training shamanic practitioners and teachers. We also provide classes for empowering personal lives through shamanism. Our certification classes are in week-long segments, enabling international participation, and online classes and long-distance shamanic healing sessions are available. Come discover the science of magic in the limitless world of shamanism. www.findyourpathhome.com Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the Exxon Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the Exxon Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan, and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. Rob McConnell here, presenting an overview for Nicholas Paul Jinnick's author of a fascinating book, Amen. 
It presents facts revealed by Egyptologists, facts that enable us to understand why Amen is the beginning of creation of God. It provides recommendations for religious leaders of the major religions to unify their beliefs and teach the Word of God, love one another. Amen informs people how mankind conceived God. It was the Egyptians that developed the concepts of a soul, a hereafter, and son of God. And finally, after the worship of many gods, they conceived the belief in one universal God, the maker of all there is. For more information, visit www.futureofgodamen.com. That's www.futureofgodamen.com. Dr. Frank Galbo is our special guest this hour, Exonation. Astanamyth.com is the website. And uh, before we went to the break, I believe we were talking about uh, Lewis and how he was uh, an atheist. And please continue. Well, he started off that way. Uh, and then, as, as you might know, he became the 20th century's most vocal uh, Christian apologist. Mm -hmm. And how he had this about faith is when he realized uh, through his um, many discussions with the other Inklings, including uh, Tolkien. And Tolkien, by the way, was um, a very passionate um, uh, uh, Roman Catholic. And so in their works, which on the surface appear to be pagan stories of lore and, mm -hmm. and, and uh, Norse mythology, beneath them is the deeper Christian message. And both of them were deeply moved by this, and their works on one level have just been understood to be this uh, uh, kind of Hollywood epics, but beneath them both had sought to create a kind of newfound Christian revelation. Could have, one of the problems of the world be today that, there, that religion hasn't grown with society, and therefore society looks at religion as not being a an unnecessary part of its existence? because there have been mm -hmm. more wars that have been fought in the name of religion, more people dying, and so on and so forth. So why do we need mm -hmm. religion in the 21st century? Well, precisely. I, don't, um, uh, I can understand yeah. why, that's, uh, why that's disputed. For Tolkien and Lewis, they thought that uh, religion, in particular the, the Christian faith, mm -hmm. provided the backdrop by which we could rediscover who we are, where we are going, and, and in particular... Right. Uh, um, uh, uh, the basis of all civil society. Myself, in my effort, I just want to see a world in which the extremism of religion is no longer uh, tolerated. Apparently there have been recent discoveries of giant pyramids, pentagrams, and swastika in Kazakhstan. Could you tell us about that? <laughs> yeah, that's what first got me in the door, is that... Um, there have been three very recent remarkable discoveries in Kazakhstan um, that uh, are truly shocking. One is a series of giant step pyramids mm -hmm. uh, that resemble the famous step pyramid of uh, Djoser in Saqqara around um, uh, 4,500 years ago. The other is an enormous double pentagram. In fact, if you were just to do a quick Google search right now and type double pentagram, your, by, uh, your, your first hit would probably be the 1,200-foot giant pentagram, the world's largest pentagram, which was etched on the side of a desolate lake in Kazakhstan, which was recently discovered. And then thirdly uh, were a series of uh, large-scale geometric earthworks um, that showed an enormous swastika. So I open up my book by showing you a pyramid, a pentagram, and a swastika, all of which were recently uncovered in Kazakhstan. And I use that as a way of saying, do I have your attention? And then with that, as a, as a, uh, a hook, as it were, we look at um, uh, the origins of early civilization right up into the building of the most extraordinary capital city. Um, uh, of, I mean, this is, as I like to describe it, Las Vegas on steroids. Wow. That's that's uh, one heck of a uh, of a description. Uh, who is or what is the tale of Etana and the original tree of life? Okay, so the tale of Etana is one of the oldest myths of world 
civilization. It dates back to uh, Sumerian times around 2100 BCE. Mm-hmm. And it begins with the construction of a great city, a monumental tower, and this quest for eternal youth with the help of an eagle. And this particular story has is like a monomyth, a mother myth. Uh, when we think of, uh, I'll give you some familiar examples of mother myths, like um, the uh, tree of life in the Garden of Eden, uh, the war in the heavens, the biblical flood, of which there are about 88 versions worldwide. There's no earthly reason that there should be 88 different variations of the same story uh, with disparate cultures completely unconnected, but yet there are. And, uh, but, and in this uh, idea, analysis of myth, Itana, the tale of Itana, is perhaps the most widely varied myth. There are about 300 variations of this myth from Ireland to the Arctic Circle. They take very different uh, associations, but it describes how a youthful hero ascends on the back of an eagle. Uh, This story is told in uh, Garuda, the Lord Vishnu, um, Greek mythology, Alexandrian romance. And any time that you see an eagle, you are seeing a vestige of this old myth. And this is why eagles are found in Persia, uh, uh, China, um, Mesopotamia, Egypt. The whole image of eagle equals civilization comes from this ancient tale. This ancient tale, as far as I know, has never had an architectural building associated with it until Astana, the very center of this capital, has um, the Baipiric Tower, which evokes and re-describes this ancient Sumerian tale, and it's called the Baipiric Tower. And the Baipiric Tower is at the very center of this capital city, and there are many other extraordinary marvels of architecture that are, um, as I like to describe, vestiges of much older stories. So what is the significance of the story in modern times? Uh, Of the eagle and the child? Yeah. Well, um, the, the whole notion of ascent, of uh, ascent up to heaven, whether it is uh, usually depicted with wings of the angel, is part of a kind of nodal point of this older tale. And you'll see it over and over again. Uh, ask yourself this. If you look at the cultures of Europe, all of, not all, but a large degree of the European uh, uh, royal houses have an eagle as their moniker. Look at the emblem of America, eagle. Mexico, eagle. Germany, eagle. Persia, eagle. Why? It is because of this older tale retold in many ways. So if we, uh, using the example from uh, Noah and the Bible, we find many variations of that too. So it's not very hard to find uh, eagle uh, uh, eagle, wings of eagle found in modern culture today. All right, but how can we know, how can you, how can we make the association between the, the story of the, the young lad on the back of the eagle to the great American emblem of the eagle? Uh, I, isn't that a bit of a stretch? No, you need the requisite guide, yeah. uh, uh, somebody to show you how and where these symbols derive from and why they have potency. Why they are reused? Why well, they are no, re-told. no. Why I'm saying uh, what I'm saying is how can you, how can you say with any certainty that the emblem of the eagle has anything to do with uh, with this myth? Well, let me ask you this: Why is an eagle appearing in uh, uh, so many varieties? Sir, I'm a radio talk show host, not an ornithologist. Well, that's why you hopefully rely on on experts that uh, probe subjects uh, in the effort of trying to find the truth. I I agree with you, sir, but when I ask a question, I I expect an answer, not an answer, a question back. And the question... Okay, well, it seems you're disputing that there's an association between the the proliferation of the eagle and the Sumerian tale of Itana, and I, I think that is incorrect. Well, what do you base that on, sir? I base it on the nearly 300 variations of the same story, and um, kind of like Chinese whispers, they are told in different ways, but you can see them. So, 
in this modern setting in the center of Kazakhstan, you see what looks like a giant lollipop, and people call it the lollipop. They say, oh, there's the Baytiric Tower. But the story behind the building of the tower and all the uh, 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 symbolic references within and without tell us, remind us of this ancient mother story. It's, it's, uh, there is an easy effort of archaeology to do so. For instance, we know with the basis of words that there are cognate root words. That's why it's important to study Latin or Greek. Then you find out the, mean, the true meaning behind words. The similar things with myth. There are cognate mythemes within myths that are retold in different ways. There, they are, if you want to know why we say the word mother in 60 different languages, is because it derives from a very old mother tongue thousands of years before its cognate was found in Proto-Indo-European. The same is true with myth. They have progeny, and they change, and they, they, they alter, but you can see the golden thread and where they come from. All right, I'm in Canada, you're in Canada. If that story is so significant about the eagle and the boy, how come we don't have an eagle in our coat of arms? Well, I mean, I'm not saying agriculture had uh, used this, but the eagle takes on the variation of the, the phoenix, for instance. So the, what we look at as the phoenix or the dragon, yeah. the, the, uh, the recurring of this, this bird, even in, and, uh, uh, in ancient Native American traditions, for instance, the Anishinaabe of the Plains have as their central emblem the eagle. So sure. to say that we don't find uh, the eagle in Canada, we find it in the much older cultures that were in Canada and that lived here for thousands of years before European settlement, where the eagle is central to understanding their way of life. But also, during the, in, in Native tradition, isn't the eagle what is used to carry the soul up to heaven? Yeah, precisely. Stand by. Uh, We've got to take our final break. Exonation, Dr. Frank Calvo is our guest. His website is astanamyth.com, and we'll be back as we wrap up this hour here in the Exxon from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. You have heard of the Exxon? Now watch it on Simo TV, plus 500 video games, live TV channels, free video on demand, worldwide, and more. Does this sound like tomorrow's television? Well, it is, but you can have it today, right now. It is Simo TV. Simo TV offers what the others only wish they could provide 15 exclusive channels like Exxon, Sci Fi, and Horror. We are worldwide. No other provider offers that. 500 built-in video games. No need to have an extra expensive system. We have them included. Free video on demand. Live streaming events from around the world. Interactive online network and much more. Tomorrow's TV today. Simul TV. Sound too good to be true? Well, it's not. You can have Simul TV today. Sign up at SimulTV.com. Do it today. The new nonfiction book, Razor of Madness, is similar to cult movies like Clockwork Orange, Dragon's Tattoo, or The Other Side of Hell. Wayne Morin Jr. and Thomas Lee Howe will expose widespread and systematic deficiencies in this thought-provoking tell-all novel. Mind control rages among scholars in law schools. Human rights are ignored while thought reform and mental manipulation are accepted practices used as behavior modification. Dr. Louis Jolion West comes to mind. Media and public scrutiny shows that United States mental hospitals are in fact destructive murder industries. Razor of Madness Expose Novel details this epidemic through an in-depth professional and personal investigation. For decades there has been a revolving door policy that still releases killers and pedophiles back into society. The maestro of mind control continues to haunt America to this very day. Razor of Madness is available in paperback or as a downloadable ebook at Amazon.com. I'm William S. Peckham. 
If you enjoy a good mystery with a touch of the paranormal, then you'll love my novel, From Out of the Woodwork. It's the story of a young Toronto contractor, Sean Kennedy, who buys derelict homes, guts them, and turns them into multifamily dwellings, slums just waiting to happen. When Sean buys 29 Livery Lane, the house fights back. Former owners unexpectedly come out of the woodwork as he starts the destruction. The apparitions come to him when he touches old books, reads hidden letters, rummages through old boxes, finds a locket or reads a discovered manuscript of a murder mystery. From out of the woodwork will take you from 1899 to the horror of the World Trade Center, September 11, 2001. Check out From Out of the Woodwork on my website, www.williamspeckham.com. Welcome back, everyone. Dr. Frank Elbow's our guest to this hour, www.astanamyth.com. Dr. Elbow, uh, earlier you mentioned uh, Plato and Atlantis. What is, the, what is your opinion of what Atlantis is or was? Um, do you mean uh, in the mind of Plato or as it's been mythologized today? Both. Okay, well... Um, Atlantis was, um, according to Plato, a, um, a perfect concentric capital mm -hmm. that was the mother capital for the cultures of ancient Egypt. Um, he uses the Republic as a basis to show us that we can have an enlightened capital, and this effort to do so has been uh, uh, re-evoked in many works of literature and form. Uh, we wouldn't be thinking about uh, uh, Atlantis in, in the way that we do if it wasn't for 19th century scholarship and the effort to try to find Atlantis. I don't know where it is. On the, uh, uh, I don't think anyone does. Mm -hmm. But I do think that there is probably some truth to it. So why is it then that there was only one person, Plato, who ever talked about Atlantis if in fact it did exist? Well, uh, Plato's, you know, we need to put Plato in a totally other cat, uh, um, category because pl all philosophy is a footnote to Plato. Mm -hmm. uh, those aren't my words. That's the words of uh, Alfred North Whitehead. But um, uh, Plato is unique in having, um, as a philosophical figure, uh, provided so much that serves as the foundation of Western culture. And for him to ascribe to its truth, uh, and me being very fond of who he is and what he's done, uh, then uh, I think it's, you know, uh, important to give it some credence. Even though he's the only person who ever talked about it? Well, uh, yes. He was the only person that ever talked about the forms, too. And the idea that there is some other world in which every other thing that we know in this world is a mere shadow projection. He was also the first to talk about the word as the logos, which appears in the very first verse and prologue of John. Mm -hmm. So when Plato speaks, we should pay attention. But he's only one person. Well, okay, but uh, he is... Uh, I mean, what, 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 what are you insinuating, that just because it's one person, it, uh, he doesn't carry the, uh, the, the signature of, of truth? That's exactly what I'm saying. Because if, well, if this was true, if in fact Atlantis was real, would there have not been more than one person talking about it, recording it, or wouldn't it appear in history or in ancient civilizations? Um, what do you mean in ancient civilizations? Well, wouldn't there be a record of it somewhere? In, in what way? History. I mean, here, I, how about this as an example? There is no reason to believe that there is no archaeological evidence for David. Zero. There's no extra-biblical evidence of David. There's no extra-biblical evidence of Moses. There's no extra-biblical evidence of Abraham. Exactly. So why should we believe that those are true, too? I don't. Well, well, yeah, and you could be right. So why should, 
why should the works of these, for all we know, imaginary people be taken as as points of scholarly well, investigation? You're an imaginary person. You're not purporting that Plato was imaginary. No, I'm saying that many uh, that that his his belief in Atlantis may have been imaginary, because if or it was, he used it as a way to tell a deeper story. He also has a myth of Ur, and it is used in a very particular way to showcase the principles of uh, civil society and an enlightened republic. So we shouldn't be taking things at their most literal value, and that is directly what Plato wants you not to do, is to take him literally, but to, in fact, read between the lines. Well, That's why, why we continue to read him today. So why wouldn't he just say what he meant and meant what he said? You know, why all the cloak and dagger stuff? Why all the hidden messages? Why all the why all the um, layers upon layers of hidden layers? messages? He's very. If when you start digesting Plato, you mm-hmm. realize we could learn a great deal from his level of uh, rhetoric, skill, and analysis of, of speech and uh, and thinking. So uh, uh, sometimes he speaks allegorically, mm-hmm. sometimes it's matter of fact. But if he ever talks about numbers and geometry, it's best to pay attention. That's just the way he's decided to write. If his message was so important and so prolific, it is. We're still talking about him. Well, yeah, we're I mean, still talking about Santa Claus. We're still we're, we're still talking to Plato, Socrates. Man, he doesn't listen. Pupil Aristotle. We have nothing. Blah 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 blah. Civilization rests on two truths: uh, uh, Abrahamic faith and the C- Greek rational thought. Mm-hmm. The whole of rational inquiry, the whole of the scientific revolution would not have existed without the empirical analysis of Plato and his progeny. So the fact that you find him uh, um, unworthy of exploration seems to me rather, uh, I mean, I, it's just shocking to me. Why? That Not everybody bows down to a statue of Plato and thinks he's the greatest thing since ice cream. Come on. But I'm, I'm not. I don't think we should bow down to him, but we should certainly pay attention. I mean, uh, uh, who, who are your? I mean, who are your literary figures that you you um, look up to? None. None. I don't have any. I, I I don't I don't glorify people who. Find him. No, I don't I, know why we've gone onto this tangent about Plato and Atlantis. It, it seems like this is like an unnecessary tributary. Well, sir, I want to thank you very much for uh, for joining us tonight. It's been a total waste of my time. And Exxon Nation, here we go, another scholar who thinks that he knows everything and the rest of us know dick all. You know, come on, get off your high horse, you moron. Jeez, people like him just tick me right off. You know, they think they're that great. Big deal. In his case, I think Ph.D. means piled higher and deeper. Like, who gives a damn about what Plato said? If Plato was right, there'd be more than just his version of what happened. And how do we know that Moses, Jesus, and the rest of them were real? Why is it that we have to take the words of scholars who have nothing better to do with their time than to go back in time to try and figure out why we're so screwed up right now? Give it a break, mister. Get a real job. You know... These people who travel, who can't do anything except learn, in my opinion, are a waste to society. They really are. They have no concept of what it is to really work, to really be a member of society who works for a living, who doesn't sit on their fat duff spewing their false information and what they believe to be true based on fairy tales and myths to people who pay a lot of money to listen to their dribble-drabble. To me, when I talk to people like this who are very condescending, who can't answer a question without answering back a question because he's got no goddamn idea what the real answer is, so he'll bullshit his way, you know, these guys really tick me off. A waste of my time, a waste of my listeners' time. Man alive. You know, 
what's it say here? The Hermetic Code. Uh, let me just go through his bio. Uh, let me see. Architectural historian. Yeah, there's a lesson. I thought this guy was smart when I first started talking to him. Like, what can we learn from him? Well, what have we learned? That he's not very considerate. He doesn't listen. He can't answer a question. Maybe it's because the Manitoba weather is a little bit too cold and he didn't get thought out in time for this interview tonight. That could be because it does get very cold in Manitoba. And, um, you know, he sends us one, two, three, four, five, um, five uh, video uh, links and a whole bunch of other garbage that I'm not going to even get into. Yeah, come on. You know, we've had, we've had, we've had historians on the show. We've had, we've had archaeologists on the show. Gosh, Frank Joseph, Dr. Michael Cremo, and others who, when they're on the show, you learn something. You actually understand and appreciate the work that these people have done. They talk to you so that you can understand and they stop. And when you ask a question, do you know what? They give an answer, a logical answer. But when you get these people who are so high and mighty because they've gone to Cambridge, this place, that place, and because you don't think that the sun rises and falls around Kazakhstan, they get a little testy. I'm sorry, Exxon Nation, I didn't mean to put you through this hour of dribble-drabble. But these people really tick me off. In my opinion, they are a waste in society. They are truly a waste of society. Because obviously what the ancients did didn't work for them. Because if it worked for them, man, this would be nirvana, right? How about this, Exonation? If they were so smart, these lost ancient civilizations, they'd still be around today. But all they've left are ruins and members of the educational field who think that they know best. I'll be back on the other side of this break. Don't go away. Modern Esoteric, Beyond Our Senses by Brad Olson, consummates the lifeology story about where humanity originates. It is the lost continents, the primitive wisdom, the mythos of creation, and the rethinking of ancient history as we are taught in academia. There is much more to the story than what we have been told. As this is the first book in the Esoteric series, Modern Esoteric starts at the beginning of time and accelerates up to this modern age. Future Esoteric is book two in the series and takes a forward-looking position ahead of today with an open and honest examination of the ET issue and various unexplained phenomena. To discover the writings of author Brad Olson, visit www.bradolson.com. That's www.bradolson.com. Are you or is someone you know struggling with addictions, depression, anxiety, relationships, low self-esteem, lack of confidence, grief, success, and prosperity? Do you know that your subconscious belief plays a big role in the outcome of your hard work? We can help you permanently change the beliefs that may be the reason for your struggles and failures. We care about getting you the return on your investment and the results you are looking for. We can help you be free of the limitations of your past and in realizing your highest potential. We work with people by phone and Skype. For more information, visit us at www.ritasoman.com. That's www.ritasoman.com.
Do you think you have energy problems in your home? Do you feel better when you're away than when you're home? Joey Korn is a global leader in the world of dowsing who specializes in personal energy clearing and space clearing. He can help you create an ideal energy environment in your home no matter where you live in the world. Learn about his remote spiritual house cleaning services and much more at www.dowsers.com. You can get Joey's book, Dowsing, A Path to Enlightenment, as well as other dowsing books and tools, Kabbalah books, and Walter Russell books. Joey's work is really amazing. Go to dowsers.com right now. That's D-O-W-S-E-R-S dot com or call 1-877-DOWSING. That's 1-877-369-7464. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You, too, could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. 